you know, I, I don't, if, if I never know how many MQLs we've got top of funnel ever again, I'm not sure it would impact the marketing performance at all, honestly. You know, <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 28 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing, the F is for, well, you decide. As you're probably asking yourself, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, founding editor of Rockstar CMO, your monthly dose of marketing street knowledge. You can find us at rockstarcmo.com or Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode is recorded on Friday the 18th of September. I hope you've had a good week, that you're staying safe, well and as sane as you feel you need to be in this crazy 2020. And I'm glad you're here. If you enjoy the show, please drop us a rating, a comment, or get in touch on the socials. Or if email is your jam, I'm editor at rockstarcmo.com. Come say hello. This week, I'm sticking to the usual set list. In a moment, I'll dip into the virtual pages of Rockstar CMO and pluck out an article I'd suggest you take a look at. In the interview segment, I'm chatting to Paige O'Neill, the CMO of Sitecore, a digital experience platform that you've probably heard of. And again, we wind down from the week in the virtual Rockstar CMO bar with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose. Right, let's get started, shall we? This week, as I flick through the virtual pages of Rockstar CMO, I'd like to point you at the sample. This is a newish, fairly regular feature that we run where we spin the dial on the interwebs and find some articles that are related to the theme of the issue and share them. As regular listeners will know, the theme of the last issue was the blur between our home and work lives, both in the new working from home workplace and on social media. We picked out four articles. The first is How Can the Lessons of the Lockdown Inform Future Ways of Working? It features Accenture and it's by Andrew Birmingham and it's on the witch50.com website. It's an Australian publication and it quotes Sarah Kruger, head of HR at Accenture ANZ. She says, coming to work is a massive part of people's lives. It's not just work, it's often also their social life, which is why I picked this out as it talks about something that much of the commentary misses on working remotely, that we get a lot of our social fix from the workplace. The next article is from 2014. I know it's ancient in internet years, but it's called I Started Posting Personal Updates on LinkedIn. Here's what's happened. It's by John Nemo, and it's an entertaining read that explores the blurring of our real lives with our professional lives and our personal brand. And it makes some great points about trust that we need to give a little of ourselves to be trusted. No one wants to do business or connect with a dull old robot. Which leads me to the next article, How to Bring Your Whole Self to Work, published by the Greater Good Science Centre at UC Berkeley. It's by Mike Robbins, who wrote a book on the topic. And he believes that, and I quote, to truly succeed in today's business world, we must be willing to bring our whole selves to the work we do. That means showing up, authentically, leading with humility, and remembering that we're all vulnerable, imperfect human beings doing the best we can. It's also about having the courage to take risks, to speak up, ask for help, and connect with others in a genuine way, allowing ourselves to be seen. It's a nice quote. I've come across this work before, as it's something an old boss of mine encouraged, and it's well worth a look at, especially if you're a people manager. 
And finally, I thought this was fun. The Harvard Business Review did some serious research on what we should wear and what background we should choose for our Zoom calls. I won't spoil it, but they surveyed 500 folks and rated various choices against how authentic, expert, innovative and trustworthy you would appear. Well worth a read if you want to have a data-driven wardrobe. That's the sample from this month's issue of Rockstar CMO. And of course, I will include a link to it in the show notes that you can find at rockstarcmo.com forward slash podcast. Right, it's time for this week's interview. I've been trying to nail down Paige O'Neill, CMO of Sitecore, for an interview for a while now. We featured her in the Paige of Rockstar CMO previously, where she shared her five marketing truths. I will, of course, include it as a link in the show notes. Paige has had a fantastic career in B2B marketing. We discuss her journey, how the pandemic has impacted her team and the work she does. And we discover what gets her marketing mojo working on a Monday morning. And of course, what she would nominate for the Rockstar CMO swimming pool. Hope you enjoy this interview. Welcome, Paige, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? Thanks so much for having me in. I'm fantastic. Jolly good. Of course you are. And um, <laughs> tell us a bit about yourself and, and what, is you, what it is you do, Paige. I am the Chief Marketing Officer at Sitecore. We're a company that helps customers deliver on digital experience for their customers, which is obviously very timely right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm a career B2B CMO. I've been a CMO, I think, seven times in companies of really all sizes. Right. And has your career always been in marketing? What inspired you to get into this game? Well, you know, I, when I was a, you know, a wee pup of, you know, I think 25, 26, I was Mm -hmm. a graduate student at NYU. And I thought I wanted to teach college. And so I was pursuing a PhD and Mm -hmm. started doing some undergrad teaching and pretty quickly realized that it probably wasn't going to be for me. And so I kind of haphazardly found my way into PR. I was looking for a part-time job and trying to decide Mm -hmm. what I was going to do and was I going to keep pursuing the PhD. And I somehow landed at this public relations agency that was um, uh, just kind of gearing up to work for they, their big clients were IBM and Sony. And so it's interesting because wow. you know, I'm a B2B CMO. Yeah. If I would have gone to work on the Sony account, I probably would have become a B2B <laughs> marketer, right? Yeah. But I went to work on the IBM account. And yeah. so the B2B path was was kind of sewn. And, and this was at a very interesting time when IBM was just forming their internet division. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I literally was in class the, the week before I started this job and I was uh, in a class with a professor named, uh, Herbert Schiller, who's pretty famous in, uh, uh, academic circles. He, he felt that the commercialization of the internet was a really bad idea and that mm-hmm. corporations were going to come in and just completely ruin the free spirit of academic exchange that was happening. This was before graphical browsers, wow. how old I am, right? And, and so literally one week I'm in class writing papers about how oh, we shouldn't let corporations come on to the internet. And then the next week I went to work for IBM's internet division. <laughs> and, and that really hasn't come to pass. I mean, uh, as, uh, as an industry, we've been very good custodians of the internet, haven't we? We haven't ruined it at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> Never. It, marketers don't trust us with nice things, right? So, <laughs> um, is that what inspired you to get into marketing? Was that first gig and the, the PR and working with IBM? You know, I mean, it was just such an exciting time because, mm. um, you, you know, so much was happening in technology. 
And, and I think the early companies, like, you know, the Netscapes of the world were just being formed right around this time yeah. that I was making this move into IBM. I yeah. read an article in Wired magazine about this young kid named Mark Andreessen who had invented a way for us to be able to browse the Internet by clicking on pictures. Yeah. And, you know, m- most of the people listening will think, well, yeah. But I mean, at the time, this yeah. was revolutionary because you were clicking based on text. And it yeah. wasn't that interesting or immersive. Yeah. So it just, yeah, that, yeah. that's what more, I think more than anything really changed the game and caused yeah. the internet to become what it is today. Yeah, yeah. He invented the banner ad. There's probably a marketing terminator trying to travel back in time to <laughs> stop that from happening. Um, well, I mean, and then I just kind of got the fever from there because, you know, pretty quickly yeah. going to work for IBM, one of the first products that I worked on in public relations was at the time we called it electronic commerce, right? And it was Ooh. this notion of a payment system mm-hmm. over the internet, which of course now, you know, we all buy 50 things a day on Amazon, yeah. right? But at yeah. the time, yeah. I remember having these conversations with journalists saying, no, no, really, people are going to enter their credit cards in over the internet mm-hmm. and they're going to buy things. And the journalists were like, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so it was really an exciting time. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and I, how long have I known you? I've known you about a decade or so. And I didn't know that was the start. That, that's such a, that's a, such a great story about where you were at that time. And you're right. It was incredibly exciting. And so, so then you've, you've stayed in B2B tech all the rest of your career. I have. I you know pretty quick. I was uh, living in New York at that time and, mm-hmm. and working for for IBM. And then I pretty quickly. I think a combination of you know a really bad New York winter where I looked out my window <laughs> and somebody was cross country skiing down Twenty Third Street. You know, down Twenty Third Street. Yeah. And me traveling to at the time it was the Internet World Show that happened in San Jose every year. Oh, I traveled yeah. out there in February, right around this snowstorm, and I was like, "Why am I living in New York?" Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I moved out. Plus, you know, obviously the tech, uh, you know, revolution that was happening yeah. in startups and uh, in yeah. the Bay Area at that time. So I came out to work for Oracle, and mm-hmm. I think that you know, once I, I I went to work for Oracle and stayed there for almost ten years, the B two B path was definitely sown at that point. Yeah, yeah, and the staying in california and in the sun was cast i guess yeah i'm you know questioning that now we've got a lot going on in california right now yeah yeah yeah. leaving but yeah i've been here all that time yeah and as you know i was in connecticut when we had a really um bad you know when we were together at sdl and Mm -hmm. you do wonder why why on earth am i here (laughs) so yeah Yeah. so and so that that's a bit about your journey that's good but recently i mean i have to ask all the guests at the moment about we're still kind of dealing with the coronavirus and coming out of that but what i I liked your reaction to it that you did near the beginning i think it was back in march wasn't it when we first were in Mm -hmm. lockdown you started that video series where you started talking to people what what inspired you to do that and and how did that go? Well, honestly, it was keeping my own sanity, right? I mean, I, mm-hmm. I started off doing it for me. And yeah. I, you know, initially, I think we all went through many different phases, right? As But, you know, mostly I'll talk about it from a leadership perspective. I, you know, once I went through the personal assessment of, wow, we're in shelter in place. What does this mean? Yeah. Am I okay? Am I in a good environment? Is my family okay? I then yeah. pretty quickly turned to, I've got a big team of people that I'm leading and I also have yeah. a community. And so yeah. what can I do to talk to people about what they're hearing and seeing and what their reactions mm-hmm. are, help put mm-hmm. that out there to share information. And so it, you know, it kind yeah. of started from a place of wanting to get involved and do something, but also to just talk it out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like the way that you did it so simply. I mean, you just got people on zoom and, and stuck it out there, didn't you? 
Yeah, it's, you know, it's, I, I even edited the videos myself. So I, I learned a new skill in quarantine yeah, video yeah. editing and yeah, just yeah. you know kind of did it with no, with no fanfare. It just seemed like that was the right thing to do to just keep it very low key, have these informal mm-hmm. conversations. And I mean, I talked to, I talked to you, you were gracious enough to join yeah. me on one of the, on yeah. one of the, yeah. the, the, the I wasn't going to plug myself, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I think the thing that was so great about it is, yeah, I, I stepped way outside my wheelhouse and I talked to people from all different disciplines. Yeah, you did. I talked yeah. to a recruiter about what was happening in the recruiting world. I talked mm-hmm. to industry analysts. I, ta- you know, I certainly talked to marketers. We talked about mm-hmm. what was happening in the events world with everything going digital. Yeah. So many other things in between. And it, I mean, it was kind of therapy for me. And I yeah. you know, talked to other people that said it was for them as well. So hopefully yeah. a little something that helped. Yeah, no, I thought it was great. And I, there's, there's a link to it and I'll include that in the show notes so people can catch up. Cause I think a lot of it is evergreen content. Obviously, most of it was about how people are dealing with the coronavirus, but there was a lot about virtual working, working from home and all sorts of topics you covered, which I thought was really interesting. But one of the things I think that came through with a lot of the discussion you were having was about empathy. We saw a, a good theme of the discussion was marketers developing empathy. Explain that a little bit more. I, I saw that on those videos. Yeah, I mean, that that if I had to pick one word that was kind mm-hmm. of the word of the series, and, and then I think also even you know, bigger than just the LinkedIn series, it's been kind of the word of the pandemic. It is yeah. absolutely empathy. Yeah, I think everyone is talking about empathy. And it's, you know, it's not just marketers. Um, I talked mm-hmm. to uh, Jerry Brown at IDC, who is there in mm-hmm. EMEA, and he had just mm-hmm. at that point finished a survey of CEOs in EMEA. And top of mind for them was, you know, how do we do empathy at scale as a company? Yeah. And so I think yeah. that this, this, you know, I think initially we're going through the pandemic and from a marketing perspective, there was a time where, you know, certainly my team and I were talking about, we have to stop marketing. We can't be marketing our yeah. products right now. And, yeah. and I think many companies went through that same decision process. And then yeah. we kind of came back to, okay, what can we do to help? help our customers, yeah. and, you know, from Sitecore's perspective, we've yeah. got many healthcare customers, uh, you know, kind of top mm-hmm. of our roster. And so we mm-hmm. reached out to them and said, Hey, can we increase your bandwidth? Can we yeah. increase your support? Can we help you get websites up that are going to get information out? And yeah. So that was one of the things that, that we were able to do to kind of give back that was, I think, appreciated by those customers. Yeah. And then I think that kind of evolved in the industry at large and, you know, mm-hmm. marketing and companies at large to, this is the tone we need to be taking right now. It's the yeah. right thing to do. We care about our customers. It's not a time yeah. to be overtly selling things. And yeah. so how can we walk a mile in our customers' shoes, understand what they're going through, and then kind of respond from there? And I yeah. think that's now taken on a much larger life of its own and will hopefully yeah. continue forward as we start to move past these early phases of the pandemic. Yeah, and I think a lot of consumers and hopefully your customers are the same um, will be the case is they're really judging brands aren't they on their reaction and, and how, yeah. how they went through that so so I think hopefully your customers will remember that, that that's that's what you did for them so I think that that's good um so uh, and then but um how how did you handle it from your own team perspective you, you talked about that a little bit just a moment ago that you looked after yourself and you were thinking about your team then you did the video series and of course you know like any large software organization you run a lot of events how how did all of that play out how did it play out with moving your team to completely virtual they're quite virtual anyway right i know some of them and then and then how did you manage moving your events to virtual 
Yeah, I mean, I think that every marketer on the planet got a massive wake up call and learned a lot about their organization in a very short time period. Uh, I was very fortunate. My amazing team, we, we were we were already pretty virtual in many of yeah. our markets, you know, some more so than others. Yeah. Um, but we still, you know, despite that, we we do a lot of physical events and they, they're great for us. And and so we had to um, we had to shift those almost overnight. And I think yeah. and we, and we were able to do that. You know, the team did it like champs. It was pretty incredible yeah. to, to witness. And I think there are learnings in that. And I've talked to, you know, I participate in a, in a couple of CMO groups where we talk about these things. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of CMOs had the realization that, wow, why does it always take us so long to do things that, yeah. that we were doing previously when we were able to, for example, adapt to digital almost overnight? And there was a lot yeah. of work involved in that, a lot of people putting in a lot of hours. But, yeah. you know, it, it really take six months to run out a cam- to, to put out a campaign. And I, I don't yeah. think we're going to go back to that. I think that yeah. agile is going to be one of the things that's going to come out on the other side yeah. of the pandemic as well. Yeah. And you have a big annual event. Um, are you doing that virtually this year as well? We are. Our Sitecore Symposium event, which is coming up uh, at the end of October, mm-hmm. is going to go digital for the first time. And so, right. you know, on the one hand, it's it's that I love that event so much. You get mm-hmm. to see all you know all the customers, the developers, yeah. the partners, everybody in person. It's just such a a, a great week. Yeah. And so, it, you know, it's it's soul crushing to not <laughs> yeah. get together in person. Yeah. But I think the flip side of that is we've got a really exciting. We've had the opportunity to put together a really exciting digital event. We've yeah. got now, I think, a 50-50 breakdown in the registrants between the U.S. and the rest of the world, whereas typically it's, you know, 85% U.S. and then yeah. maybe 15% global. So it's a whole new audience that nice. can't travel to the U.S. always. Yeah. And it's just, you know, giving you a reach with digital that you you just wouldn't have because yeah. you know, we get a lot yeah. of people that come to the physical event, but more yeah. so now. So you got to look at the silver lining, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll include a link to the event in case anybody's interested in, in attending from our, our audience. Um, so, um, back to, um, Rockstar CMO and some of the questions we ask. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about, um, so, so what gets your, if I was Spotify, just to throw you a complete curveball, if I was Spotify, what gets your Monday morning marketing mojo working? What would I put on? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think you'd probably put, I love the, do you know the DJ Robin Schultz? He's the yeah. famous, uh, he does yeah. like these great Euro dance kind of electronic yeah. mixes. I, I love him. I think that would definitely get me going. He's got some great playlists on Spotify that I always put on whenever I need a kind of You a need a up. lift. You need a yeah. lift. Yeah. And then, and then staying on the theme of uh, Rockstar CMO, as you know, I think because we've chatted before on uh, on on Rockstar, we have we have the the swimming pool, which is our portal to hell for all the bullshit snake oil and all the things that we um, you know we love about our industry. But you know, we love our industry, but we don't love these things. What would you throw into the swimming pool? You know what I'd throw in there is the the traditional marketing funnel. I think that uh, it, you know it's been kind of swirling the drain for some time now, but I think that. I think the pandemic is going to give it its last go round before it flushes itself mm-hmm. down into the swimming pool. Because mm-hmm. I think that, you know, one of the ways that certainly we're seeing that you combat digital fatigue is you got to get much more targeted and be you know much more ABM focused. And so I think mm-hmm. this has just been a major boost for ABM, which was already 
on the rise mm-hmm. for all the marketing departments that I know. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just kind of pushed aside this notion that, you know, we're, we're, we're doing this mass targeting and we want to get all these yeah. MQLs in and just, you know, <laughs> I, I don't, if, if I never know how many MQLs we've got top of funnel ever again, I'm not sure <laughs> it would impact the marketing performance at all, honestly. You know, what are we doing for our target accounts? What's our ABM strategy? How are we partnering with the sales team to yeah. make sure we understand their objectives for the accounts and how marketing can move the needle at different stages in the yeah. sales funnel? It has nothing to do with how many MQLs we have top of funnel. I love that. I love the, uh, I mean, are we throwing MQLs in as well? I mean, it sounds like we're just throwing Maybe. a lot in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, that's heresy. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, MQLs are giving you something, right? They're they're mm. telling you that people are responding yeah. to your content. They're giving yeah. you, you know, kind of volume and maybe, you you know, you put them more in the awareness bucket. But yeah. in terms of how your, you know, your, 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 your targeted lead programs are doing, I would throw them right out the window. Yeah, nice, nice. Uh, and that's um, that was my last question. And uh, so, Paige, uh, if people want to get in touch with you, um, whereabouts will they find you when they spin the dial on the interwebs? Well, I'm uh, obviously SiteCore.com is, mm-hmm. uh, is my company website. I'm on yeah. LinkedIn. Uh, at, I think it's backslash Paige O'Neill on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm on, I've got two Instagram accounts, mostly um, I've got a photography account, which is yeah. Paige O'Neill Photography. And then I've got my kind of work personal account which is k page o'neill nice um, yeah so yeah I, we didn't get into the photography thing which really nice but um i'm very grateful for your time because i know you're super busy page so thank you very much for joining me and um i'll speak to you soon thanks for having me you're very welcome thanks Paige. thank you Paige. i will of course include all the links we discussed in the show notes It was great to finally catch up with her. Right, it's Friday evening here at the Rockstar CMO Penthouse in London. I'm about ready to call it a day and ease my way into the weekend. And what better than to do that in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join my friend, content marketing guru, Robert Rose. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. Good to hear your voice and see you virtually here in the bar. Um, Yes. You know, this week um, I have a little bit of an end of summer, beginning of fall drink. Um, And this one is really no muss, no fuss. I'm I'm, going to guess you've got the ingredients for this one because this one is truly as no muss, no fuss as it gets. It's uh-huh. it's called a, a a blueberry hibiscus dandelion tea, um, <laughs> and so <laughs> uh, you know, um, <laughs> but in all seriousness, this is something you should be able to pick up at the local grocer, um, mm-hmm. and then you just—I mean, mm-hmm. it's literally that out of a can, um, and right. it's lovely. I should say a can. It's a it's a glass bottle, but it but a, a, you know a container yeah. nonetheless. And um, yeah. and uh, a nice reposado tequila, and this is one of those ones where you pour a little tea into the glass, you pour a little reposado, you take a sip. Do you have the night mix? Eh, maybe you do, mm-hmm. maybe you don't. You pour a little mm-hmm. more tea, and you pour a little more alcohol in. You you sort of just mm-hmm. do it. Pour each in until you get the right flavor and mix, 
and you've mm-hmm. probably had a couple before you even take your first sip. Yes, <laughs> I was going to say you probably do that all evening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, that, as you say, that sounds incredibly simple. Let me see what I have in my desktop bar this evening. I have. Um, oh, what we decided was the English tequila, didn't we? I have. Yes, that's right. Gin. English tequila. Yeah, this week I've got Hendrix. So we've ah. got some Hendrix. So let's you are stick loyal some to that Hendrix brand. They should sponsor the show, I think. I'm hoping for that. I'm hoping for that. I, and then I was going to do like a bake-off between them and uh, Bombay Sapphire. Oh, see so who wants to go up for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I just like gin. Uh, did we put ice <laughs> in that? <laughs> you might there have is that too. Yeah. Did you put ice in that? Uh, yes, indeed. This is a end of summer sort of sit on the porch kind of thing. Yeah, right. And then you said a bottle of something, right? What was the bottle? Uh, yeah, you've got a little blueberry hibiscus dandelion tea there. I have tonic. Yeah, okay. Similar. That's <laughs> it's got botanicals in it. Yeah, is it that... does. All right. Yeah, that's yeah, true. yeah. Botanicals are yeah. all right. And you said I need to taste it. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Oh, I, um, I might have overdone it on the tonic there. Let me let me just try that again. Top it off, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, that's nice, Robert. And I, I think it, it's hard because I have a very refined palate, as you can imagine. I would probably need to continue to top it off, try a bit more tonic, top it off for for a good couple more hours. Yeah. So um, so while we're doing that. What are we chatting? So where are we actually? Where are we this week? Oh, well, I think, you know, before it gets cool, um, and, you know, as this end of summer sort of wraps up here, I think we need to make a quick trip to my, the place where I was born, actually, um, which mm-hmm. is Galveston Bay. It's in Texas, um, although you yeah. wouldn't recognize it as Texas. Um, it's a very quaint little town on the coast. Um, on the Gulf of Mexico, and over the years, it's it's been everything from a you know horrible you know place to be and all of that as an out uh, outlier of Houston, and now has yeah. really had a resurrection of sorts over the last call it fifteen years, and has now really come back into its own as a beautiful little bucolic town again um that you know that uh, i mean from what i remember and i moved away from there when i was very young um the way it used to be which is just a beautiful little beach town and sitting out on the porch there enjoying some gulf shrimp and Mm -hmm. sipping on on these as we sort of watch the sunset over the gulf it'd be a nice evening Sounds sounds splendid. I presume. I mean, yeah. here in the UK, when in London, when somebody of notoriety has lived in a particular house, they put a blue plaque outside. It tells you a little bit about the person. So presumably, you've got the equivalent there in Galveston, Texas, where it says Robert Rose lived here or something. <laughs> <You> <laughs> or, or avoid this place because he lived here. Yes. If it's not there, I think we'll ask Dennis Dennis Shaw to uh, pop down, and uh, I'm sure he'll figure it out. Oh, there we go. The other listener. (laughs) The other listener. (laughs) Well, that sounds beautiful. And, um, and uh, obviously you'll, you'll um, show me around and we'll reminisce about, reminisce about your childhood. But after we've done that, what, uh, we'd probably turn to marketing like we always do. What, what's the topic for this week? 
You know, the, the thing, one thing I've been thinking about uh, recently is the differences between B2B, B2C, and needs and wants. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I often hear, you know, you, you, there's always a grass is greener kind of thing when you hear marketers talk about the other. Um, and, um, you know, one of the things that often comes up is, you know, well, the B2C, you know, they get to meet wants, right? They get to, you know, nobody needs gym memberships or alcohol or fashion or social media apps and, and, you know, all of that. Um, or is it a need, right? Are you selling things that people need, but don't necessarily want, you know, healthcare, electricity, fuel, insurance, you know, nobody wants to buy those things, but they need Mm -hmm. them and they have to Mm -hmm. buy them. And so how do you market those things differently? And is there a difference? You know, is there a difference in that? And, you know, so we can open up another bottle of Hendrix, I'm sure, and and, and get into (laughs) Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, but, but what it comes down to, I find is, is that it's, the interesting thing is, is that we need the reason that needs and wants are not different is because if we actually do look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and go up to that self actualization, mm-hmm. anything we want that helps us be self actualized is a need, right? It it, it mm-hmm. is something that we need to be our better selves, and so mm-hmm. so why do people buy things they don't need? Well, because they do need them. In other words, we mm-hmm. we believe yeah. that we need them, and so. Really what yeah. we're, you know, we're all, we're all trying to do the same thing, which is fulfill a self-actualized need for our customer. And so ultimately it's about appealing to that, you know, that ability for people to be their best, you know, and more evolved yeah. self. And so yeah. that's ultimately to me a fantastic argument for content marketing, because yeah. if we're trying, you know, if part of our goal as marketers is to help people be their best selves, well, then we need to fulfill all of those self-actualized needs or as many as we certainly can. I mean, I know our customers have their own responsibility to give their own needs, you know, their own lives deeper meaning. I get all that. But so we need to be content marketers to deliver value with content around our business because we can be the ones to help them make those you know, realizations, those, you know, we can help them along their Mm -hmm. process to help them find those things. And so Mm -hmm. it really is ultimately a a business case for me when I start thinking about that needs versus want versus B2B versus B2C. Well, the the heart of all of that is our ability to deliver value through inspiration, content, educational content, or entertaining content to help them be their best selves. Yeah, I think that's that's really interesting because and weirdly enough, because we're, we're still dealing with the pandemic, what what brought that to mind there was um, the way that a lot of people reacted about their vacations here in the UK. So it was almost like it was a human right, like a need that people needed to go on vacation, which, um, you know, you, you would have thought was a want, like you were saying, right? But it does seem to be that's how people define themselves. And when they couldn't do it, they were, you know, it was a very emotional thing for them. Absolutely. Right. I mean, that, you know, the the higher up you go in, you know, in that hierarchy of needs, right. I mean, you know, you sort of, (laughs) you know, of course, physiological needs, safety, 
esteem, yeah. you know, all that stuff are, yeah. you know, as we start working up the, the, the ladder there. But as you get up yeah. to fueling potential, right? Fuel, you know, basically yeah. self care, which is what vacation really is. Um, yeah. you, you know, you have to conclude that at some level that is a need. And the reason yeah. it's a need is because we believe that it is, you know, it's, it's, yeah. You know, whether it scientifically is or not, uh, you know, because we believe that that self-care, that self, um, you know, preservation of our sanity through vacation, it, it we we absolutely believe that we need it. And thus we really do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's um, is that that's. That drives a lot, like you say, content marketing, isn't it? Is it's to generate, to create that story that puts the potential customer in that where they where they see that need for themselves, right? Where they see themselves not just wanting something but needing something. Is that is that what you're saying there? Yeah, it's like the you know. So to, to use the example of your vacation and and sort of mm-hmm. as a human right, which is <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know that is the most you know. I know you all Brexited and everything, but that is that is the most <laughs> European of all thinking, right? You know, it's like you know, don't mess with our eight weeks, man. You know, um, well, it was really the travel that um, and and weirdly that you mentioned Brexit. It was it was like it was a, a, a British person's human right to travel to Spain. <laughs> And 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 be exactly. and have some sunshine for two weeks. It was, right. What are you doing to us? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, when you think about to, to use that uh, that example, mm-hmm. you know, whatever we're selling that fits into that mm-hmm. that need, right? You know, whether it's yeah. travel or food or yeah. restaurants or you know, uh, tickets of some kind for a, you know a, yeah. a show or whatever it is, the content the responsibility we have as a product marketer in that is to fulfill the goal of the product, right? To fulfill Mm -hmm. the features and benefits of the product we're selling. And that's wonderful. That's marketing, right? That's just great Mm -hmm. marketing. But Mm -hmm. our content has a responsibility. Our content marketing has a responsibility to help them self-realize or be the better version of themselves as they use that product or, 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 so that they will use that product. Yeah. You know, one of yeah. the things that I often talk about in my workshops is the idea of one of the main goals of content marketing is teaching customers how to be customers, right? Um, mm-hmm. In other words, we're going to help them learn how to not just that our stuff is good, but how they get the mo- how they would get the most out of our stuff if they were to buy it and, and, yeah, and yeah. show how it actually not just like gets them to a show to watch some entertainment, but why this is going to elevate their lives and and yeah. that deeper meaning that is something that can quite frankly only be delivered through the idea of content marketing because it is outside yeah. the features and benefits of our product typically yeah yeah and may i flip that around a little bit from a b2b perspective do you think it's the opposite with b2b in that um you're actually wanting your b2b buyer to want the thing that they need well, that's so exactly we're creating right. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And and yeah. so, well, or you could even say it a different way: it's helping them realize that they need it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Helping them realize yeah. that they don't just want it; that they actually do need it. Um, yeah. And, and you know, yeah. because a lot of times what you get is in the B two B sale is, well, it's a nice to have, right? 
And yeah. you know, this is the classic, you know, um, the classic, uh, you know, in B2B marketing, you know, the, the sort of classic uh, 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 foil of a sale is not the mm. competitor. It's the no decision, right? It's that's the, true. It's, it's yeah. when there's no, no decision yeah. made at all. And this is, yeah. you know, this is where content marketing plays a huge role in the B2B sales yeah. to say, it's not just a nice to have that you, that you, you know, we need yeah. to educate you and inspire you and raise this up in your yeah. Maslow's hierarchy of needs by educating, mm -hmm. inspiring, or entertaining you to the point where you not only go, this would be nice to have to our business, but this is an absolute, we need this. Yeah, yeah, and um, I think that's often underrepresented, isn't it? In competitive intelligence, is the do nothing. Yeah, is how absolutely. do we compete with do nothing? Yeah, because yeah. they because uh, we focus in on the what you could do. Yeah, right? you know, so this is yeah. this is replete in technology sales. Yeah. It's like you could do yeah. this and you can do that and you could do this yeah, and you yeah. could do that, and the buyer goes, "Yeah, that would be nice, but I don't need that." Yeah, yeah, you know, well. I, and 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 content marketing in an educational standpoint takes that you could do this you could do this you know this is the class mm -hmm. features and benefits arguments takes mm -hmm. those features and benefits and puts them into context into how could you be a better person by mm -hmm. doing this you know what value educationally or inspirationally can i give you that helps you understand that once you have this thing yeah you can do all those things but yeah you can ultimately be a better person because of this. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm feeling, I, I, I'm being slightly, con I'm not being contrarian. I'm going to flip that as well because I'm thinking as well that maybe it sometimes is our job as content marketers in that instance is to show them what happens when they do nothing, you know, because there's winners and losers in the market. And if you don't react, then this could happen to you. Do, do you see any of, do you, do you ever play in that sort of yeah. more negative side of content Absolutely. Marketing? You know, it's, yeah. I will say that this is the biggest. It's funny because I'm just working on a presentation about this in thought mm -hmm. leadership. It is the biggest missing piece for most thought leadership in B2B, which is yeah. I call it the implications of change layer. Yeah. In other yeah. words, if you make this change, if you buy this enterprise CMS, if you buy this um, generator, you know, set of generators for your manufacturing business, what are the implications yeah. of that? Good and bad. Right. Yeah. In other words, yeah, yeah. what what are the traps that you could fall into? Most marketing and sales organizations in B two B don't going to go anywhere near that. I mean, when was the last time you yeah. heard an enterprise CMS software provider go, "This is going to really suck"? That you know, yeah. implementing this product is going to take up eighteen months of your life and it's going to be horrible. Yeah. But. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and here are all the horrible things that are about to happen to you. Here's how they can be made slightly better, right? <laughs> yeah, that'd be that that'd be uh, that would be a bold move. Yeah, wouldn't it? <laughs> wouldn't it? Didn't oh god, didn't um didn't your chum Joe Paluzzi talk about this on something where he was talking about how you should outline exactly what happens if you subscribe to my newsletter i'm going to email you and then i'm going to i think he did something like that but it was oh, a was similar me. sort of thing oh, was yeah, it you was i'm me. sorry my friend <laughs> joe takes all the credit for your work i yes he does but that's <laughs> fine <laughs> i'm sorry mate yeah it's exactly that isn't it is if you um tell people what you're going to do with their data then um yeah would that work yeah 
That's exactly right. Were, it, were you it, at least talking to Joe when you said it? Uh, no, I wasn't actually. I was uh, <laughs> I was writing something. <laughs> I think I think now you stop the weekly wrap. I've completely forgotten about it. <laughs> there, well, that's that's common in my world. <laughs> I'm easily forgotten. Well, that's that's my T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> that's not true i know that there's a lot of consternation in the content marketing world when you stop in the <laughs> weekly wrap but i'm not going to go on about that again this week because that was clumsy last time so so that's a great thought so so we need to um uh so so uh, so so we need to think about how in, in b2b and b2c how we um how we make people not just want our things but need our things and that's what we do with our content marketing is that a good summary yeah, I think it's, you know, it's yeah. the opportunity, right? You know, when people yeah. go, well, what is the point of trying yeah. to, you know, you know, when you think of content marketing beyond just like frivolous sort of cat videos and you say, yeah. what is the point of all of that? The, the point yeah. is, is that we can teach our customers to be better customers or teach our customers how to be customers. But all of that mm-hmm. is in the, the context of helping our customers become better people, not just smarter because they bought our product, but smarter because they bought our product and learned how to do something better with it. That's, and that's at the heart of a great content marketing strategy, which is helping, you know, helping people understand that what it is we're delivering to them doesn't just, you know, ultimately give them some shiny new thing. It gives them a shiny new thing that helps them, move along a process, Be move better. along, you know, yeah. move along in their lives. That's the opportunity. And when I think about it like that, it's a great business case for it because that's mm-hmm. a differentiator that uh, many of our competitors probably aren't availing themselves of. Yeah, that's, that's a brilliant thought. And is that something you've written about? Um, seems I am forgetting about anything you've actually done, but, uh, uh, well, <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll shortly forget about them. So it doesn't really matter. But... <laughs> I think Joe said something about this, didn't yeah. he, once? <laughs> yes, yes. You can get that at joepolizzi.com. And, and, uh... <laughs> uh, but we can find you at contentadvisory.net, correct? I'll at least can remember that. Indeed. <laughs> you can indeed. Or you can forget about me on social media as well at Robert underscore yeah, Rose at, uh, on Twitter. Yes, splendid. Well, um, as if I remember to come down to the bar next week, uh, will I see you there? <laughs> You will indeed. (laughs) I look forward to it. Thank you, Robert. Excellent. Cheers. Thank you, Robert. That was fun as usual. And I will, of course, include all his links in the show notes. One thing we didn't mention is Robert will be presenting at next month's Content Marketing World, which is going virtual this year, and I'll include a link to that too. So that's a wrap on episode 28 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thanks again to Paige, to Robert, and to our Rockstar CMO contributing community for giving me something to share with you. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track, and jiving along with us. Hope you enjoyed the show.
if you like my guests, please give them a mention, click their links, follow them and take a look at their work. I really appreciate their time. So please show them some love. Does the world need another effing marketing podcast? What do you think? Drop us some feedback, a review, subscribe, share, or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, our interview goes agency side as I chat with John Paulick, MD of UK-based agency Mantra Media. I've got that scheduled in my calendar. As you heard, Robert promised to be back in the bar. And until then, I've been your host, Ian Truscott, founding editor at rockstarcmo.com. And I hope you'll join us again next week here at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.